0: proper mental podcast episode 169 and my guest this week is john ratray who is a former professional skateboarder and the creator of why so sad And Why So Sad is a skate and cycling focused campaign with the goal of driving awareness and education around mental well-being and suicide prevention. And in this episode I chat to John about how he got into skating and the importance of community and subcultures, particularly for young people. We chat about his experiences with depression at different points in his life and where the idea for Why So Sad came from and how Nike got involved to produce a Why So Sad signature shoe. And we chat about some of the themes and ideas that inform John's work, things like the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, and the work of Dr. Bruce Perry and Lost Connections by Johan Hari and how learning about what's going on in our brains and our bodies can help us to understand mental distress and what to do about it. And Why So Sad is brilliant. Essentially, it's all based around a short video. It's kind of like a comic book and it's narrated by John, and it kind of tells John's story about his mental health. And it digs into sort of human behavior and human physiology, as well as psychology, why we do certain things, how we respond to stress, different behaviors, how we think, how we feel. And it looks at what's going on in the brain and in the body, and how these things sort of get out of our control, I suppose, but also what we can do to get them back within our control. So essentially what John's done here is he's taken some really complicated neuroscience, and he's put it in a way that, anyone can understand. And it's really beautifully done. It's a great watch. I highly recommend it. I think if you uh, click the link in the episode notes and give it a watch, I think you'll get a lot from it, particularly if you enjoy this conversation. But it's also the sort of thing you could show to your kids. You could show it in the school. It's a really great way of getting the message across and something that you don't see so much, I think, in the mental health awareness space, you know, really like digging in into the The physiology, what is happening with our chemistry, what is happening in our bodies and in our brains to make us react in certain ways. And, you know, I love that element of it. There's so much power in understanding what's happening to us. And there's a lot of power in understanding why. And when you know the hows and the whys, then you can start to put things in place to do something about that, right? To make life a little easier. We're constantly getting told it's okay to not be okay, but we're not really doing much thinking about why we're not okay in the first place. So yeah, give it a click, give it a what. It's really engaging and it's a lot of fun too. In this episode as well, we talk about the new installment of it. It's called Your Brain on Sport. There's a link to that as well. And all John's socials and all that stuff are in the episode notes. As part of the conversation, he mentions a lot of books that help to kind of inform why so sad and where a lot of his information and themes come from, so I've listed those books in the episode notes as well. Yeah, it was really lovely to chat to John he's a great guy I've known about him for a while I've known about him because of his skateboarding background and I've known about him because of why so sad as well so he's been on my to talk to list for some time huge thank you to our mutual friend Sam for bringing it all together and doing the introduction it's very much appreciated if you'd like to watch this episode you can it's up on the Patreon page that's where all the videos go you can sign up for £3 a month and you get the videos as soon as I record them I just pop them straight up and I don't put them anywhere else so if you'd like to watch your podcasts you can do so by signing up and joining the community. And like I say, it's £3 a month and all that does is just keep the podcast ticking over. It means I don't have to have adverts and sponsors and that. And just imagine for a second, right, that I'm having this amazing conversation with former professional skateboarder, John Ratray. And we're talking about his life as a skater and we're talking about the science behind why so sad and some of the challenging experience that he's been through in his life. And halfway through him describing the science behind top-down and bottom-up regulation, I have to interrupt it with an advert for some crappy products that you're probably not going to buy anyway, right? I just think it would ruin the whole tone of the show. I just think it would get in the way of having deep and meaningful conversations. So it's really important to me that I keep this ad free and I keep it independent. And that's just what the Patreon community does the link is in the episode notes. A great way to support for free is to leave me a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. And that is everything you need to know from me. And this is episode 169 of The Proper Mental Podcast with John Ratray. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So this is another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and I'm joined today by John Ratray. How are you, mate? Hey, good. How you doing? I'm doing good, mate. Yeah, it's a real, um, real pleasure to meet you, mate. It's a real pleasure to meet you. Our I, I paths—we're uh, just kind of talking about this before, but our paths like almost kind of crossed last summer in uh, when I was over in Portland. But how long have you been over there, mate? How long has Portland been um, been home for you?
1: Portland's been home since about 2012, I believe. 2012, we moved up here. Yeah. And uh, had a a kid right around then who's ten now so he will be eleven this year so there that's the timing that's the
0: yeah it's easy way to remember right yeah count it count it in years count it in birthdays yeah it's um mm-hmm. i it's like a really um, fascinating I wanted to chat to you a little bit about the the city of Portland right because we had a we were over for almost a week and we had like we loved it we had such a great time. And um, it it felt really like walking around, it felt like really sort of, um, I don't know, almost like bohemian and quite inclusive. And I don't know if that's why, because I, you know, love Elliot Smith. So that was kind of always in the back of my head walking around Portland. Um, But then like the other side of that, there was, there's like a a massive homeless population in um, Portland. And that was like quite shocking I suppose just to see the the sheer scale of it is that something that's kind of over the 10 years that you've been there is that something that's kind of become more prominent in like recent years or
1: um no not in recent years there's always been a a homeless population here I think um it was one of the things that to kind of sh- shocked me a little bit when i first was coming to the united states in the early 2000s not portland specifically i spent some time in san francisco then and you know you look at california and the media and what we grow up with and you see snippets and it's small windows you're looking at it through and magazines and it wasn't social media then but um you get you get glimpses of of that side of things but yeah san francisco was where i first kind of experienced that in this in this country. And um yeah, I realized that there's uh definitely a an issue there. Portland, it's I I don't know, I haven't followed the stats too too well. It feels like it's it's not got any better, at least in Portland. I think there is efforts, you know, local pol- local political efforts to kind of stem it, come up with solutions. I think there's some some decent innovative things happening. Um but yeah, still a big, big issue. How is it in the UK these days?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a, a concern sort of everywhere, really. You know, I, I you know, live Liverpool. Liverpool's the nearest city to me, and you know, you do see quite a lot of, quite a lot of homeless people, people experiencing homelessness, and um, yeah, it's it's never easy, is it? But yeah, so the Portland, it just seemed to be, there seemed to be a real, a real. Lot of it, you know, it seemed to be a bit more, um, yeah, a bit more pronounced. But like you say, you only see these places through, uh, through a certain window, and the reality of actually, uh, like being there in amongst day to day life is is very different, I suppose, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a problem.
0: Mm, yeah. No, it's just, um, yeah, it's just, a. Uh, and, an interesting thing to me, I suppose. I've thought about it a lot since since uh since coming back. So yeah, I thought I'd ask a, a Portland uh sort resident, mate. But I suppose uh leaping ahead there, if we rewind a little bit, um to, so Aberdeen is where you're from, mate? Is that uh that's that was was that home? That is accurate.
1: That's where my roots are. I grew up in Aberdeen in Scotland in the 80s and into the nineties. Um so yes, that is fact.
0: There we go. There's yeah, off to a good start.
1: But um, is
0: there? Uh, I was interested in the sort of the the skate scene around there, mate. Was there a was there a big skate scene? Is that like what piqued your interest and got got you started down that road?
1: Uh, yeah, there's always been a good skate scene around Scotland. Um, how big it is relative to other scenes, I don't know. That would be interesting to think about. But um, it's definitely has a powerful impact on. On kids and positive impact, hopefully. Yeah, there was a skate. I think I got glimpses of it, t- talking to glimpses through small, the small windows that we have these days, our devices. At the time, it was, let me see, magazines up here and there. There was um, a UK magazine called R-A-D, RAD, which is an acronym for read and destroy. Um, fun fact. Uh, And I saw it summed up as read and destroy, like go out and skate and destroy, or read and destroy your preconceptions about what you used to think about the world because you've just read and educated yourself about something. I like that dual thinking. So that was kind of how I first started seeing it. Then there was a couple of older skaters I remember seeing downtown, and then uh, there was a skate shop that opened up. It wasn't actually a skate shop. It's pretty interesting. It was an American sports store called Quarterback. Um, I think the origin I think the original store was in Edinburgh and then Gary that owned it had uh, branched out and had a Glasgow store and then he opened up an Aberdeen store. So it it looked out, it stocked like baseball stuff, American football stuff. Um, Nick that ran the Glasgow store, I think was in the Scottish Claymores, which was the Scottish American football team, which is an odd, you know, globalized world thing to think about existing. Uh, And then the Aberdeen store opened and when you went in, it was really interesting to go in and be like, oh, there's some, you know, baseballs, baseball mitt and a basketball. But the real like the the sort of showstopper was all the all the decks, all the skate decks hanging around the sort of upper part of the wall because it's just like an art installation. You know, you've got original Jim Phillips boards like when I was coming up, Santa Cruz was in its heyday. Competing with Powell Peralta, who had is it V Cortland Johnson, or whatever the artist is that did all the classic Powell graphics. And you've got all these other brands kind of doing their thing. And that's the, yeah, that was the original kind of like window into, hey, what's going on in this thing called skating? It's looking pretty exciting when I see it done. And now when I see the art, like it's just in, intrigue after intrigue for a, you know, a 10 year old, 11 year old at the time.
0: Yeah, sure. I suppose there's that, uh, that whole thing about like a, a community, right? Like subculture that helps us to, to find our, you know, it can be a thing. It can be like a music or a type of music, or it can be skateboarding, but it, it gives us the the hobby and the interest, but also give us like our social groups and our, you know, the different places that you go and meet other people. And like it finding that when you're, when you're young is really, um, you know, it's, it's like a, a, almost like a rite of passage, I suppose, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a big thing, isn't it? When you're 10 or 11.
1: Yeah. And if we're talking about, the issue of mental health that we're talking about, then yeah, I think it's a, you find your way into it. You don't know that's what's happening at the time. You were naturally inclined to want to be a part of something. But I think that, um, so I think that's important. Um, and finding my way into skating is definitely something that i look back on and feel lucky.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure. As you, um, I don't know, as you sort of journeyed up and, you know, skateboarding became, I suppose your job, um, in the skate community was there much talk about like mental health at all as you were as you were coming up mate
1: Hmm. um no not not well i mean within skating i can't i can't remember off the top of my head maybe stuff will come to me as we talk more but um i think mental health as i was growing up was Was discussed to a certain extent through the lens of addiction because I grew up in a household with a terminal alcoholic, and you know, within my extended family, we had people that were professional social workers, and it was my cousin Ashley who at one point was working as a psychiatric nurse for a bit. So that subject matter was always around, and we were always. there was some talk around kind of what uh, was happening with my old man, but within the skate community, when we were kids, no, it, it was a, you know, that was, you know, we it's a cliche to call it your escape, but we would go skating to kind of get away from all that. That was the point of it, and, you not know, the point of it, but that's, what we got out of it was not having to deal with all the sort of negative stuff that goes on in life
0: that impacts mental health yeah sure it's like um you know i think that with the the way the like the awareness conversation and stuff has has gone now is that we kind of everyone has at least at the very least heard the words right and we kind of know a bit more about it but if you go yeah back a bit then a lot of things were happening, like you say, in the house. And you might know about these things if you were directly affected by them, but then often in the wider world, you, you, do you know what I mean? There was like, they wouldn't cross over, essentially. We kind of, like you say, you'd leave it at home and then hanging out with people who didn't talk about these things. It was much more, yeah, behind closed doors, I suppose I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if even as a species, we had the proper, the, all the words to wrap around what's happening and how, what mental health is. Like when I was, Growing up, it was the late eighties into the early nineties. I, I think I, I think I've thought about this a few times. So, I mean, my dad had his own problems growing up that he never reconciled, that led to a really, you know, worst case conclusion: addiction, and then, and that that concluded for him in nineteen ninety when he was thirty nine. But if, and if I think about. It, when the adverse childhood experience study was done that didn't even kick off until 95 so like as a species this work hadn't even been done in the field of social psychology or whatever the the proper field is that that work happened in. you know it's sort of some inklings on it and i think there's certainly work that had been done before that i'm sure but putting it into that kind of time frame context i'm like oh well no wonder we you know it didn't really work out for him and he he didn't even have access to the information didn't really even exist in a in a in the west anyway in a cohesive form.
0: Mm. I think often as well like it, it often when we talk about um, you know, addiction. It's there it, it, it wasn't always people would not always connect the two, right? Of like mental illness or mental ill health and addiction. Like addiction was seen as something completely separately that's only about whatever that person is addicted to. Like in the yeah, every... yeah. People focus on
1: the substance and the behavior right here and now. I think that's what the adverse childhood experience study showed. What happens to you in the past impacts how your body then responds in the future, for, in the future, and in the present. Um, that work hadn't happened, so people weren't connecting the dots. I think, to the point of what we were talking about before we hit record, like this, there's this tendency to try and separate mental health and physical health as two different ideas. I mean, for simplicity's sake, physical health is just musculoskeletal and internal organs and all those kind of macro pieces. And then mental health is this other thing, but it's all physiological too. It's your endocrine system, your nervous system, and your brain your emotional responses and those are all impacted by all the physicals everything's physical you know
0: yeah it's all uh all so, feed in it, the it, same system
1: yeah and the point to your to your point addiction is a physiological condition where whatever your dopamine pathways if, or get triggered by this or get triggered and then you satiate whatever it is you're feeling with this substance that there's a Definitely, some healthy alternatives out there to any substances that you know cause problematic addictions. But uh, addictions are hell of a thing. So,
0: yeah, certainly is. Yeah, very much so. I mean, with regards to your own experiences, John, when does kind of when's the first time you can kind of remember? You know, now you have a. Quite often we gain the the language, the vocabulary to talk about this stuff the hard way, right? And you can kind of yeah. look back and go like, oh, right, okay. So, you know, what I thought was this or what I was trying to ignore or like that was actually, you know, this thing. Um, you know, if you, when you look back is when does, uh, when does your own sort of stuff start? Under Like for me, like starting to really dig
1: into it and understand it in a in a more organized way, not until 2017. So I'm like, God, you know, into my... Let me do quick math at this I had three cups of coffee I should be better at this point <laughs> um late 30s like 39 40 years old at that point so that's too late that it's not too late it's never too late but it's it annoys me that that's when I started digging into this my sister had already pa- she passed in 2011 you know so, there had been a lot of water under the bridge since then. Before I finally was like in a place to dig into this in a serious way, serious with a pinch of salt always, but but that that sort of annoyed me because I was learning about you know how how adverse experiences in childhood impact your nervous system and how that you know can impact health outcomes later in life. And this is all work that's based on studies that were done in the nineteen nineties, and I'm like, wait a minute. We've been knowing about this stuff since the 90s. And this is the first I'm really kind of wrapping my head around it. Like, why are we not just and it's fascinating if you're not in crisis, then learning about all this stuff is not scary. It's like really interesting. So why are we not just talking about this subject and learning about the nervous system and the impacts of early childhood trauma and all the rest of it and how then how to recognize what's happening and what our triggers are and, you know make efforts to grow and change in a healthy direction instead of the unhealthy direction that may have got us to be in a position to be having poor mental health or addiction or whatever the rest of it is. So I think the point there is it was sort of annoying when I started reading around it and being like, wow, we know as it's, you know, we know a lot about this and that we're not talking about it enough. Yeah, it's like some people. Or or in the right ways or in the right forums, you know, like. It's a scary subject when we're talking about, you know, suicide prevention and addiction and all the rest of it. People tend to naturally, and I can understand why, reel away from those subjects. But so I guess the way we frame it up is really important in terms of like changing the narrative that actually this is really interesting and vital to learn about.
0: I wanted to ask you actually about the, um, I've got it in my notes here, about that education side of it, because something I really love about um, why so sad, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit, is, um, and what I've heard you talk on, on stuff before on various platforms is the the that the knowledge side of it you know like you you took a really like deep dive into the the physiology and then like what is mental health and what is happening to us and what are some of the reasons people experience these things was where was your how did that journey start for you like what was your first port of call that you kind of thought like well i'm gonna go and dig around in a bit this and what was the sort of the you know is, what what was yeah how did that all like kind of open up for you to um to have all this this these ideas and this knowledge at your fingertips
1: I mean, we talked, I mean, we didn't go into it. My sister died by suicide in 2011. We both had, you know, lived, had this sort of similar childhood experience with a bit of chaos in the house, culminating in a complete tragedy. When I was 13, Katrina was 10, of her dad passing, which thinking lately, he was just, he was just 39 when he passed. Like, I'm, I'm doing better than he did. So, you know take that as a win um but a few years after Katrina passed it was 2017 the journey of learning so I wanted to all I wanted to do at that point was just um raise a bit of awareness and money for professional organizations working in the field because I was like I don't really have the expertise at that point I would like to develop it if I can not really going back to university to do a another degree or a master's or anything like that at this stage of the game much as I'd like to if money was no object and then I would. I think started just raising some funds and awareness for the Scottish Association of Mental Health which is now Scottish Action for Mental Health Um, because my cousin started working there and then as I felt kind of more grounded and ready to kind of dig in I, I think the first thing that I found i and really accessible was johan Hari's book lost connections that was a starting point he did a really good job as a somebody who's also not a professional in the field he's what a journalist and a researcher and just a good writer and storyteller he did a good job of like looking at his own experiences of mental health i think he had he certainly had addiction issues as well because he talks quite eloquently about that subject but yeah lost connections his kind of body of work looking at what drives what we call depression um and some of the a lot of he he started pulling together a lot of the research that's been done over the past few years by like john cassiopo i think who was one of the the sort of leaders developing the field of neurosociology so how do you know what's happening in our brains in terms of like how we relate to each other what dr bruce perry would say is, is mediated in the limbic system in the brain like there's there's um there's research around around that kind of covered in it. There's research around how effective are pharmaceutical antidepressants versus other sort of less, you know, more you'd say non like non-pharmaceutical tactics. You know, he started sort of comparing the results and there's a lot in there. It's just really readable and it's a good journey and takes you through kind of a good grounding of like what is this thing called depression and mental health and it starts to ground you in in practical ideas that are sort of evidence-based so that was a starting point then it was then it was a book that i think was written in 1994 called waking up alive by richard heckler heckler was a i think a therapist or counselor in the bay area but waking up alive is like kind of harrowing it's case studies From his work working with people who have attempted suicide and then not managed to complete yet the act and die and they've woken up alive is the name of the title so the stories that lead people to that state being suicidal are obviously like not great so like uh, warning warning trigger warning the stories are pretty full-on but the the learnings that came out of that, it's like a really hopeful book because each of the case studies is about people that didn't manage to complete suicide and woke up alive and then went on to work with Heckler kind of work through their, you know, their psychological issues that all stem from kind of what's happened to us when we were younger or what situations were we in physically in our lives, how much stress were we under over the course of, over adolescence or early early adult life or whenever um, in the long or recent past. And they've gone on to live healthy and productive lives. So that's the hope. I think it's super interesting that that was just before the adverse childhood experience study was kicked off. And Heckler pulls together three common themes that he had observed in everyone that ends up like all the way down to suicidal ideation. It was like, Extreme family dysfunction was one of them. So like, you know, in the list of questions that you get when you do the Adverse Childhood Experience questionnaire, you know, were you in a household with violence? Were you in a household with abuse and addiction and all that, it's like those types of dysfunctional uh, or poverty or like, you know, experiencing racism, all the different sort of um, stressors that you can be subjected to growing up as a human being What's now the 21st century? Um, That was one of the themes. And then there was like a sense of alienation. So a sense of being disconnected from your your trusted group, your family, your peers, whatever. And then the a, sort of a traumatic loss was the third one. So death of loved ones, death of somebody that you can trust, like all the rest of it. All of that, you know, was then corroborated by the massive body work that was the Adverse Childhood Experience study. And then there's a bunch of neurobiology that's been built on top of that in the course of the last 20 years. And it's really kind of pulled the whole field together in a way that has been really helpful for me to understand because understanding that this is all physiological based on things that happen to you kind of gives you a, it allows you to forgive yourself. It's like, oh, there's maybe there's not something like, wrong with me it's the world is crazy what I've experienced is crazy and therefore the way I'm feeling is actually a reasonable response you know
0: very much so. Yeah. It's like, it's so important to know, because I think a lot of times when people have problems with their mental health, cause it can kind of, cause we're so good at distracting and blocking it out and, and carrying on, then it, it can just kind of like crash land into someone's life. And I suppose I'm talking about my own. You
1: have to. Here, yeah. But... Like we've evolved that mechanism of like blocking it all out has evolved and exists for good reason. You, we have to like historically be able to just keep going, going collect berries, go and like get the food to, you know, and the fuel for the fire and all the stuff that we have done to survive and for there to be 8 billion human beings on planet earth. Like it's worked quite well, but, but it can get counterproductive. And I feel I've said this a few times, like, and I, God, I'm, I'm currently reading or listening to future shock by Alvin Toff. that was written in 1970. And it's really interesting to hear him talking about the accelerated pace of cultural change then. Cause I'm like, Holy shit. If he was alive now, he would be tripping. Like, oh God. And we would be like, you called it, dude. It's worse than ever. It should just especially the media landscape now, the speed of that, it's just like, oh, it's really mind boggling. But the point is we've built all this way faster than we can evolve to keep up. So the only way that we can keep up is knowledge is power, like adaptive kind of cognitive strategies. Which is also how we've managed to get eight billion of
0: us on the planet. Yeah, I saw this um uh, this thing going around Instagram the other day, and there was a picture of like the first ever aeroplane, and there was a picture of the the moon landing, and then it said these two events are only sixty six years apart. And you think like you want to talk about like society speeding up the yeah. fact that we'd never flown, and then sixty years later we're on the fucking moon. Like that's wild when you kind of uh, when you think about it. But I yeah. Mean, it, it it makes so much sense. I when I started to get poorly, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. It just like it, it everything exploded. And then it was only like through a lot of work, looking back at, you know, in the build-up that it was like, ah, oh, of course I got sick. Like, well, that makes so much sense to me. Like you know, you like right. you write a li- write a list of all the things that people need to stay mentally healthy, and I was doing very few of them. But yeah. because that way of living is quite normalised, you know, then that, that it's so common, and I think so many people think that they. Um, and obviously, I you know again, I can't speak for other people, other people's experience, but that. It's often the case, or it can be the case that it's not just a collapse, is it? It's that there's a reason for it. It's not just out of nowhere that we start struggling. There's there's things behind it that are that we don't know about. And yeah, the the
1: yeah yeah. Or we're not we're just like you said, you naturally brush these things under the rug, and you're like, I need to keep going. I was thinking about where the taboo of mental health versus physical health comes from as well. Recently, one of the things I was thinking about was. You know, if you have a, what we would call a physical injury, a musculoskeletal injury, you do a ligament, you do an ankle, whatever. You can in the certainly in the knowledge industry, you can, or in the knowledge sector, you can certainly still show up at work and do your job. Might be different if you're in construction or something. Then it's like a different a different story, I guess. So I'm kind of backing myself out of my hypothesis here as we speak. But let let's let's run with it. I think one of the things I was thinking, however, was. With mental health issues, as we call them, like emotional issues, if you're completely overwhelmed and you're not able to move forward anymore, often work is part of the stressors in your life, and we need to remove some stressors. So it's like that having to remove yourself from the thing that provides you income and the thing that gives you a sense of value add to the to the world that you're in. Like that's kind of a double edged sort of double edged sword, but like a vicious circle that you can end up getting into that might help fuel this like oh i don't need to talk about this mental health thing because you know that's going to have an impact on my ability to to be a contributing member of society rather than oh it's just an ankle injury you know it'll heal up in six weeks and within within a week i can be back on crutches and doing whatever and it's a different it feels like a different kind of ball game what do you think about that
0: yeah i I completely agree yeah it's certainly easy because it's more acceptable it's so, and there's so much of the a lot of the words around you know particularly mental illness you know like the there's not a there's not a thriller novel out there where the serial killer hasn't got schizophrenia or bpd right so it's so stigmatized as well so if you've got a a particular label and you uh you know you have to did you choose to disclose that then like you don't know if the person if the person you spoke to has read too many fucking Karen Slaughter novels or something, then, you know, you don't know how that's going to be received when you're always going to be safe with a, a poorly ankle or a sprained knee or something like that. You know, it's uh, it plays a big yeah, yeah, exactly. shit. I mean, yeah.
1: yeah, broad media has has definitely done a good job of painting a poor picture of, of the worst case scenarios there it's it's where maybe it's worth as well pulling apart the the terms mental health and mental illness I've seen that done a couple of times like severe mental illness is not generally what I'm talking about with any of the stuff I do it's like mental health based on like extreme stress that you may have experienced young when you're younger that's resulted in some outcomes like depression and anxiety it's not all the way to like full-on schizophrenia or like severe bipolar disorder or any of that that stuff which i think there's like i think there it's arguable that those are extreme cases based on the same um same underlying causes but i i'm not expert enough to be going down that path
0: yeah sure yeah pulling apart like hey we're talking about mental
1: health like hey what is a general sort of like anxiety and depression understanding that we can wrap our heads around versus like full-scale mental illness
0: yeah yeah definitely it's um yeah, it, it, the, the societal impact is something that really interests me and something that I often find themes come up on this on this show and I find myself talking about them every episode for weeks on end and then it'll move on to something else. But something that seems to be coming up a lot is that um, these big life events that are so normalised by society that we don't give them the due respect for the size of them. So um, maybe people have experienced um, anxiety in childhood And then they go to university and then that's when the really big thing comes. But university, that's just something you do when you're 18, 19, right? So we don't like, but when you actually look at what that is for like a young person moving away from home and away from the support networks and all the reason why that can happen. And there's so many things like that, um, that kind of, because we don't think about the, the, some of the things that you're talking about, like the whys and the reasons, how we respond to stuff, what's going on with us physiologically, internally, that we just expect that us to be able to cope with these things but when you kind of look at them out of context of the, of the capitalist society i suppose then you can really see how, why that would be difficult for a, for a human being
1: right yeah i agree um going to university is one of the things that you call that there. are you talking you're talking about like big life events that are sort of seen as normal in certainly our culture growing up in the united kingdom um what's what's the point (laughs) you make yeah
0: i don't think i'm trying to make one i think i'm just uh just chatting about how we go through life and we do these things because um societally it's just completely normal and sometimes they really kind of mess with us and it's only when you start looking to why we would be you know switched on and hyper alert and you know a yeah. lot of the, the themes that you're talking about w- could easily be triggered by someone who is moving away from home to go to university i only use that example just because it's come up on this show a lot a lot of people if i say oh when did you first experience problems with your mental health they go "Oh, when i went to uni i had a breakdown
1: like that's yeah for yeah, sure they, same common, same yeah. here like it was really a struggle going through university because like i think moving away i start saying the the term double-edged sword moving away from home is a double-edged sword there's a lot to learn from it you're you know the point of moving away from home is kind of like ideally to become a more resilient adult you know you're out on your own you're dealing with some stress hopefully not overwhelming stress but you're dealing with just the amount right amount so that you're like becoming stronger like like yeah like the emotional system is like any other physiological system it requires stress in order to like become stronger. Too much, however, will break it. Like too much stress on your ACL, snap it. Same, same idea. That's kind of what I mean when I say it's all physical. Uh, but yeah, moving away to university was a struggle. I was, I feel like, like I said, I feel lucky I had a skate community to kind of fall into as soon as I got to Glasgow. So that was already a built-in support network um, just by virtue of being there. And then uh, it was more, I think, after coming through university for me, like once there was a decision to be made about what happens after for the rest of my life. That was a major stress at that point that that didn't help or it it, like triggered a a breakdown in my 20s. -hmm. I managed to get through. but So, yeah, it's because it's a big life change. It's a big stressor. There's a lot of uncontrolled circumstances and... You know, depending on what's happened to you as a kid growing up, you're more or less resilient to deal with it at the time. But hopefully, you get through it and come through stronger. Was that
0: the idea behind why so sad, John? To kind of like pull together this this information and and put it together in a way where you know more people can find out about it or um, you know take yeah. T- I
1: mean, yeah, some advocacy, some education, finding a light-hearted way into what can be an intimidating subject to the point that I think. At the beginning of this conversation where we're talking about if you're not in crisis and you start reading about this, it's not scary. It's actually fascinating. It's fun to learn and it's really interesting. Um, it was like framing up all the information in a way that was accessible and approachable was one of the the ways I wanted to do it um why so sad that's like just a pun you know it's it's a sad plant sad grab skate trick terminology so it gives us something to go and do so you know it's based on kind of getting out there and getting active and doing something so that you can feel about asking people to donate money instead of just asking for nothing for that for nothing but why so sad is also a question that sounds flippant as well on the surface are you making fun of this subject and it's like no we're not. It's actually a serious question. And it's based on this question, what happened to you? Which is the reframing of instead of what's wrong with you right now, let's look at what happened to you. It came out of the adverse childhood experience work to a certain extent. And then it's the title of the book that Dr. Perry and Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey put out a couple of years ago as well. And that book really encapsulates everything. And then I've worked with Bruce on a on the wise suicide comic and um on a project since. It's
0: a, it's a wonderful thing i have i was aware of it um you know before you know this we planned this conversation i watched it again today just to kind of uh refresh myself and have a, and prep through it and it, to take those like very complicated um ideas around you know like proper neuroscience and then like put it in a way that is is just so understandable it just like makes so much sense the way it's like laid out and stuff it's uh yeah yeah it's really cool is um i wanted to ask because i'm sure you get asked about this a lot but i wanted to ask about if we could chat a little bit about like um just a couple of the themes from it i don't want to put you on the spot here john without asking for too much but the whole sort of like the top-down regulation and the bottom-up regulation and the kind of because that that made a lot of sense to me that kind of like really really jumped out i think
1: yeah i can do my best to um to talk through it from my understanding and the way that i kind of I've been able to use that model to apply it, to to apply in real life in my own life. Um, let's see. It's all it's all it's Bruce's work. It's this it's sort of a model that he developed called the neurosequential model, which sounds fancy. And neurosequential is like the order that your brain processes information is one part of it. And then it's also when you start digging into it, what Bruce talks about is there's an order in which your brain processes information. So any signal that you're getting from the world around you through your senses or internally from your stomach or your heart, you know, your internal organs, your brain's processing all this stuff all the time to keep you alive, keep you safe. That's why we're all still here. And then it also develops sequentially over the course of your life. So there's like, you can break it. There's He talks about four systems in the brain. You can break, there's three really, the brain stem. Which is that is you could call it at the bottom of the brain, that's the sort of most primal part of the brain. That's the initial processor for all of these signals. And it, you know, within the brain stem, there's systems that um, mediate what we call our core regulatory networks, our heartbeat, our breathing, all these what we call subconscious parts of our brain, automatic responses that we need to stay alive. So that's the first portal for signals, and then the, the signals passed up into sort of what you call the limbic system, which is all about mediating relational attachments and memories. So as you're growing up, your brain, is, you know, your brain, you're looking around and you're sensing things, and your brain's making associations with what you're experiencing and whether you are safe or in danger. And that's system, that automatic response system that happens really rapidly is also what's kept us alive and allowed us to have 8 billion of us on the planet. Works pretty well. And then at that point, your body will get into a state of alertness or readiness based on what it's learned in the past. Am I safe or am I in danger? So it'll deploy cortisol, adrenaline, all the rest of it, depending, depending what you're experiencing. And after that, Then the signal gets to the cortex, which is the most human part of the brain. And it's where we can perceive thought and plan and think about experience time and all the rest of it. And that's and we have complete open access to the cortex when we're calm, when we don't sense threat. So the more chaos and sort of threat, you know, dangerous experiences that you feel like you have been in as a kid, that you've been in as a kid the more likely you will be to associate current situations with threat. And the problem is when you feel threatened and cortisol is deployed and all the rest of it and adrenaline is deployed, your brain's literally deploys resources down into those sort of survival mechanisms. So you lose access to your rational brain. So there's that. Um, and just understanding that order of operations of like, hey, you always feel things first before you are able to think about them is helpful because then it reminds you in terms of order of operations. If I'm feeling threatened, it's not my fault. There's a bunch of reasons why I might be in a situation that isn't objectively threatening. Um, Let's calm our nervous system down first and then make sure we can properly assess and reattach with people around us and feel trusted and then we can get back to making hopefully more rational decisions. That's kind of the long and the short of the, idea, the sort of framework that is how Bruce kind of talks about the brain. It's really practical. It puts all of your experiences in terms of like the one, two, three, like order of operations of how the body processes signals. And it allows you to remember like, Hey, we need to calm down physiologically first before we are starting to try and make rational decisions because we decisions, because we can't make rational decisions when we're under stress, you know, going all the way to, to the subject that sparked my real interest in this, which was losing somebody to suicide and suicide, you know, having experienced some suicidal ideation myself, you realize that being in that situation, that, that sort of, Situation is you're under chronic, st- chronic stress. You're stuck in the stress response, the stress situation in your body. So, you know, it's it's when people when people say there's a decision to to die by suicide or to take somebody's own life, it's, like it's not a rational decision. That cortex is not working properly at that point. Went on ran ran a, a, a tangent, a bit of a a ramble there, but not at all but it was a ramble in the order that the brain processes information in and based on what we put in why so sad and there's a new little comic online comic we put out called your brain on sport that is uh is a different way into sort of similar subject matter where it separates out the storyline from the different concepts you put a note put a Link in the old show
0: notes. I certainly yeah. will, yeah. I certainly will. And, uh, yeah, and that's more about sort of how, like, exercise and movement and stuff can kind of help us to... Uh, and that's all part of it, to too. Like, calm,
1: yeah, calming down your physiological nervous system and all that, like, sport and exercise and skating or hitting a tennis ball against the wall or shooting hoops or just deep breath work, breath, deep breathing techniques. All of these physiological things are so helpful and useful in terms of, like teaching ourselves how our stress response works and how to manage it in the moment mm, yeah
0: i'm I'm very conscious of your time john but there's a couple of things that i just wanted to kind of like uh, just just i don't know chat about mention before i uh, i let you go but one of them was a, a passage from why so sad that i've scribbled down on my notes today because i think it, it sums up like so much is in this but i'm gonna i'm gonna read it and then we can chat about it but it says your connectedness to culture and community is more predictive of your well-being than your history of adversity and that idea of culture and community being almost like pillars of uh like of wellness really i think cannot be understated They're, they're things that i um they're so important to us and they're things that are so easy to kind of almost kind of neglect and not nurture particularly as we get older i think about this in the conversation around men's mental health you know and like this the the statistics around men of like between 40 and 49 and the suicide rates and stuff and it's no coincidence that as um you know i think we're a similar age right as we kind of journey through life and we have kids and it's the sort of all the stuff that you've got to do being a dad and a grown-up it's things like culture and community that we start to to put down isn't it and and stop to do and there's no coincidence that that you know that all that kind of happens at the same time when a lot of men start to struggle a lot of people start to struggle right
1: yeah absolutely yeah i think that it's it's sort of a paraphrase i think bruce said that i think um i, I think some of it came out of like work work building on the adverse childhood experience study when they look at like what are, there's 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 what came out of that, and there's the list of kind of like things that you can experience as a kid, many things that you can experience as you're growing up that give you a statistically higher chance of having bad health outcomes. But then there's the other factors, the what they call protective factors that they look at that are like, but what are the protective factors for the people that have adverse experiences but then have great health outcomes? What is what is the difference there? And so that's where that comes from. It's like it's people that have, I think when I did youth, I did the adolescent suicide or not suicide prevention, mental health first aid that has suicide prevention as part of it. But when you do the one for adolescents, one of the discussions that we had at the beginning of the, the class was um was about those protective factors. I think it it for a youth and an adolescence, it's coming through some like challenging circumstances growing up. If they just have one trusted older mentor that they have in their life. Just one is is all it takes to help raise the chances of having better health outcomes long term. So it's like I think it also really it stems from this uh, the other fact that we've talked a little bit about. I think it comes up quite a lot. Our bodies, our human bodies are the way they are because of evolution. Evolution directed for the systems that we've got because they worked quite well in the environment they were in. We've changed the environment quite a lot um, but we didn't we didn't get here alone. We as humans only survive by working together. That's what the limbic system is for. It's for that social connectedness. It's It's been selected for because it worked really well to help us feel connected to each other and look out for each other. So the breakdown of those sort of like, you know, village, tribal communities, clans that we evolved in and, and and, you know, we're, we're able to kind of like survive in harsh environments in as a group is fundamentally in our DNA, like required for good mental health. To be disconnected from the group is an existential like crisis because it's like literally your survival's at stake in the, in the context of like what your brain's telling you. You know, you can get by quite well solo for you know, reasonable amounts of time these days. You just go to the supermarket and all that but our brains didn't evolve with supermarkets, you know. We've, we've developed, we've had, we've had them more recently. So um, I think that's where all that comes from. It's like we need each other. And I sum I sum it up recently by thinking through this, this phrase: we we did not evolve as lone wolves, and neither did wolves. I love that, mate. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a a really nice way to to say it. Yeah, we kind of like evolution is is. I, um, we're uh, chatting before we start recording about my day job, you know, my work in, in rehab. And that's the underlying like theory of the system that I use is, you know, what is your body actually designed to do and how do we get more of, more of that rather than what, you know, what are you using it for? Uh, you know, all these tasks that your brain doesn't really know exist because we invented them. Right. So yeah, it's like, there's so much if we look at why we're here and the millions of years that we were here before we were modern humans that you yeah know, there's a lot of answers there for a lot of a lot of problems you know i like to say that the world is supposed to be um as we experience it is supposed to be physically challenging and mentally easy and it's the other way around you know as modern humans we have a, a world that's physically easy and mentally challenging and that causes a lot of problems both physically and mentally for us you know and um, the other thing I wanted to chat to you about, just because I'm a bit of a shoe geek, John, was the Why So Sad uh, Nike shoe collaboration. Because I I think to have a to have a shoe with, um, you know, with like mental health on it. Like I'm such a big fan of um, taking mental health out of the normal mental health spaces you know often these things are only getting talked about in doctors offices and in therapy rooms and stuff like that and i really do think one of the ways to make a difference is to just have this stuff out in the open and whether it's i don't know badges or branding or all this stuff like it's cool just to just to have it in in societies if it's nothing you know be read lost connections by yo and harry on the bus you know that that sort of stuff so it's just out there and um yeah the idea that there's a why so sad night tune. and that's like a that's a really uh really sick thing man was that like a a limited edition um thing to to come along mate um
1: yeah i mean yeah as limited as is the next thing um i think (laughs) that that, yeah it was an awesome project i've worked in and around the nike sb crew for a few years and was a pro skater and all the rest of it and had put together the body of work that's why so sad and i think what the way that project came around, I'd been doing that the Wise or Sad project in my spare time anyway, and I I think it was the third year I'd been doing stuff. We put together a project and we where did we ride that year? I can't even remember where. Oh, maybe that was we rode like across Scotland and also did a ride in Oregon, so there was like a two pronged um, piece of content that we put out. I think we were putting raising some funds either for the Ben Ramers Foundation or they had just got up and running so weren't weren't quite ready yet. But Scottish Association for Mental Health would have been part of it, or Scottish Action for Mental Health as well. Um and I think that we had a screening of the video that we did with and Thrasher magazine put that out. We had a real Real Skateboards is a classic skate brand out of San Francisco. Did a deck, like a, a fundraiser deck as part of that project as well. And we had an event at the, the Bodecker Studios in Portland here and had a screening of the video. And so Sandy Bodecker had been a, a, an employee of Nike for years prior to that and sadly passed not that long ago. But um, I think he'd been one of the founding members of what became Nike SP, the skate, program there and um in his memory they have this sort of studio space going where they do community activations and work with youth and all that but we had a screening there and so the SB team was there and, and sort of got um psyched on the work and an approached like hey could we do this and um i don't know if we could do this like mental health and suicide prevention still kind of a tough subject so we did yeah i think we we worked together and got it to work. And the whole idea of it was, let's just use this as a canvas to tell this story and and get the subject out there in a in hopefully a compelling and approachable way. Like the whole, you know, impetus for the project in the first place. And so it was good. We got to we got to work as with the team a little bit and put together a landing page, coll- collate all the information together into one place, so that people have a sort of site to go to and read a bit about it and the reading list and all the rest of the stuff that I have found helpful for myself in one place. And then it's, it's still sort of an on, it's an ongoing little side project, really. It's my a passion project of mine, um, with good support. And yeah, it was sick that that happened.
0: Yeah, very much so. Is anything, um, anything coming up, mate? Have you got any plans for, for this year or, or future years, anything on the calendar?
1: It de- I mean, I would love to come back to Scotland and do something. There's a couple of things in the works, but they're dependent on like grant applications and stuff like that. So it depends what comes through. I'll do s- something. In the meantime, I've, you know, a- the last little while was developing that little microsite, the your brain on sport microsite. site that um, the idea is the skaters, cause Joel is up at push, push the heel. One of the, organizations that i've worked with that has a connection to dr perry as well um is psyched on the whole comic thing i am too of course but his idea was like what if the skaters then go and meet like people that do other sports like and the skaters are the ones naturally going around looking for spots in the city and they might like run into some runners or run into some footballers or whatever so i was like oh let's let's keep pushing on that and then the other thing was like physical comics or great and lovely but they're really costly and hard to ship and you can only make so many so it's like well, what can we do that's like more accessible and I hate it's a it's like I hate making things where people are going to have to look at their phones again more but at the same time it's like this term the double-edged sword comes up a lot in this conversation like that you know this is what we're working with so it's it's online there to check out when you are feeling not in crisis and ready to kind of dig in to learn, hopefully in a fun way, a bit about this uh, this subject and this stuff and and all that.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool to do comic. I love the interactive knit. So you can like click on the different bits and it'll give you something to think about and further reading on some of the things. That yeah, yeah, but, you yeah, know, yeah. That was a lovely, lovely touch. That yeah,
1: definitely. That's, that's the difference. Yeah. The wise was said comic, we tried to jam all of it in, like a narrative and science and the rest of it all in one and it was cool it's cool online to be able to pull it apart and be like here's a narrative here's what's happening to some characters if you want to understand what's happening under the hood as it were or under the bonnet <laughs> been in america a long time so it's under the hood these days under the bonnet in the engine then uh, you can click on the little button and you can like think through how it, you know works in your own life and read a bit about the different concepts that are nicely like pulled apart you know one at a time
0: yeah yeah no it's really cool man it's really good and um yeah thank you so much for your for your time it's obviously it's the first um uh, it's the morning where you are mate so i really appreciate you starting your day chatting about some of these uh, heavier topics it's um yeah i really appreciate your time today mate it's been well, i mean like i say they're not
1: about. they're not that heavy when you're not like in the thick of it they're actually True. really interesting
0: well, I mean, that's very
1: before true. Before we go, you said you work in physio, and like, you know, there's a lot of people presenting with bad backs. One of the one of the the lines of thinking that I've found is not really come up that much in all of this. But and I don't know how flushed out this work ever got, um, but the connection between chronic physical pain and chronic emotional stress, like they are almost they're like in. I think in many cases one and the same thing it's like you present with physical pain because you have some un- undealt with stress situation that's you know maybe ongoing for years that you haven't been able to process and your body just manifests it as a physical pain to put it somewhere kind of, you know what i mean mm-hmm. there was a phys- physician called john sarno that um i think he was out in new york but he had this um he coined this this idea of tension myositis syndrome or something he called it. He has a book called Healing Back Pain in the Non Surgical Way, and like I said, I don't know how flushed out and rigorous that idea got tested or if there was ever any kind of like research into the the true pathology of that idea. But he had noticed like statistical patterns where it's like wait there shouldn't be this much chronic back pain and people are presenting with like MRI scans that don't correlate with how they're describing their pain. Like what is going on here? So, and I I just, I went through a lot of physical back pain and started noticing like, holy shit, when I get the sciatic tingle and all that, and then I stop, breathe and think about what's, what are the big stressors in my life? It's like, oh, I've been thinking about paying the bills or I've been thinking about this deadline. And it's like, they're, i started to notice there was always some correlation between being more stressed than normal and the onset of of chronic pain have you noticed that within your field or has it come up like in the last few years
0: 100 yeah it's something i work with quite often you know if if there's no um if there's nothing obvious right so if you haven't been like i don't know hit by a car or fallen off your bike or whatever um yeah. then then it's like if you look at the, the pain cycle and what influences it, then stress is, influences the pain cycle, uh, sleep influences it, dehydration, those sorts of things. Um, how we think about ourselves and how we talk about our bodies influences the pain cycle. Um, and again, I look at it from the evolutionary perspective. A lot of what I do without like I'm not I'll try not to turn it into a lecture and keep you here all morning, John. But the um like with backs, when you look at backs, like how we as modern humans treat the spine makes absolutely no sense. So if you look at it anatomically, the human spine has two hundred and fifty moving parts. So that tells me that it's a structure that is designed to move and yet we're right. We're straight back. Lift of your legs. Protect your back at all costs. So it means we have very weak backs, and weak tissue is your brain's worst nightmare because weak tissue can get damaged, and if you damage tissue, you get eaten by a saber toothed tiger or whatever, right? So a lot of pain is a is your brain preempting damage to keep you safe, and it's about yeah, um,
1: yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That, that I think that that correlates with kind of what Sarno was was saying. If I I haven't read the I read the book years ago, but.
0: Mm. he's come up in an, an episode before I had an author on called um, Oliver Mole. That's a wonderful episode if I'm going to blow okay. a trumpet, but um, he wrote a book called a memoir called train laws and he had a nine month migraine. And it was one of those migraines where he was like, could barely get off the floor. You know, he thought his life was, was over. And um, he saw every type of physio, Cairo coach in the, in the known universe. And none of that it, it touched the pain at all. And it was through Sarno's work and, um dealing with his own way of seeing himself and the world around him um got him through his through his migraine and he's and he's pain free and he wrote an incredible book about it yeah really okay
1: so you said john sarno's work still informs these this thing
0: i I think so i'm sure it's sarno i'm sure it's yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah but, um
0: yeah so yeah it's a it's, it's certainly come up before yeah it's certainly all inter interwoven people's relationship with pain as well is really fascinating like some people you know are kind of almost defined by their pain and they don't necessarily want a solution for it like that's a thing as well you know so yeah it's a it's a, a really complicated thing a Really, really really yeah. thing.
1: Yeah. there's also that whole idea of like oh no no it's not emotional i'm fine it's physical, like it's, it's like to the start of this conversation. It's more accept- acceptable to be like, oh no, it's a physical thing. I mean, and Sarna will say like, maybe it, it might be go and get an MRI, go and make sure that it's you know if we if it you know if there's like a fractured spine, then we definitely need to deal with that. But if there's not, and the image shows up and it's like not correlating with what you're describing, your symptoms are, then then it's like okay, let's be open to the possibility that. The emotional systems and the phys- and the f- musculoskeletal are actually all connected in one system called our bodies. And maybe they work together.
0: Just... Yeah. I say, well, nothing happens in the, nothing happens in the body without the brain. Nothing, not a single thing. Right. So yeah. it's like to that's... your point of
1: like, to your point of like there's stress and then there's like, you know, sleep problems and nutrition problems and all, that. all of those problems are stressors. Like it all is encapsulated by things that stress us. So that's sort of an interesting reframing of like what is stress that i've learned like that's helped me to be like oh it's all stress it's all sort of some level of stress that's so we're getting subjected to it. anyway we could go on we Hold could on.
0: indeed i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go yes thank you john um it's been an absolute pleasure mate it's been lovely to meet you thank you for your time
1: yeah you too all right Cheers. see ya
0: to big up to the proper mental podcast, <laughs> a, podcast. a proper mental podcast.